Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm amazed. The, the, the expression, uh, see God in the details. You ever hear that? See God in the details? Uh, don't look for him in the big things. Of course, the big things. But look at the way that he works the, the minutiae. I mean, whether you're looking through a uh, magnifying glass or a microscope and seeing the intricacies of the smallest things of life or the grandest things out there or the, the, the everything that is in the world and in the flow of history. I say all that to say um, I, uh, I knew I'd be away last Sunday. We had the wedding and thank you for praying because I don't know physically we drove back last night how except for the Lord's grace uh, we were able to leave the wedding at 8.30 p.m. last Saturday a week and then drive 490 miles and get there at 4.05 a.m. And uh, uh, Faith stayed with me for most of the way, and then she dozed <laughs> off, but she did good. She did real good. And I, I, uh, I couldn't even sleep when I got in right away. The Lord gave such great grace and strength. It wasn't this old tired bag of bones, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, we were able to get out there. Uh, but uh, the week prior to that, I knew I'd be away that Sunday because of the parental dedication of uh, little, our little baby at David Manny's church, and that was a very, very special time uh, that uh, they had with little Britain and, and David Manny up front, and, and uh, Faith and I, were uh, uh, we stood up and they exhorted us as parents, and they have a very fine, very, very fine pastor and church there in, in Indiana. But uh, I had worked the week before to write the sermon because I didn't know with the surgery I told Mike, when you come out, it all depends, you know, like it was, you know, sort of life is that way. I was hoping to come back Friday or Saturday and then be in the pulpit here Sunday morning. So I wrote it last week. And when I look at, when I, I studied this at the, uh, uh, again, I had to resurrect my thoughts. If you're, if you're a pastor and you do much speaking, you write something, you put it away, and two days later it's like, what did I write? You know, like, they got to, Lord, help resurrect all your thinking, you know. I'm in the hospital, and now my brother is going to heaven, and I'm thinking, like, I can't believe the Lord had me spend so much time and study this, and it's our next segment in the book of Luke. And I go like this. So the Lord was, like, preparing my heart and, uh, and so on. And so I invite you to look at uh, Luke uh, chapter 16. It's commonly called the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, and I ask the question, what is your final destination? What is your final destination? Have you ever noticed how evangelistic the uh, ticket agents are at the airport? Some of you have traveled more than others, and some of you haven't uh, flown perhaps, but most of you have, I'm sure, from time to time. But every time that I visit, every time I visit the ticket agent at the counter, uh, typically it's a she, she'll ask me, what is your final destination? It's amazing. And, you know, they don't care about the in-between points. They don't, like, they don't mess us up with that. Just where are you finally going? We want to make sure you and your bags end up in the same place. Now, that's what they mean. But it is kind of ironic, you know. I mean, especially when you call an airport a terminal. I mean, you think about some of the language here. It's kind of, kind of fascinating. At least it is for me. Well, as a pastor whose heart is set on eternity, and mine is, I mean, most every day, if you could hear me pray, I quote so many words of Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, for me, living is Christ. You know, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I live with home in view. A lot of folks don't think about that. Well, shame on a lot of Christians hardly think about it until something comes up. But when you live with heaven in view, I mean, the best is yet to come. I live with that perspective every single day of my life. I think about it. I yearn for it. I, 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 I do, really. And as a pastor who's hard to set on, I wish more people would carefully consider such things as, what is your final destination? No one in the Bible taught more about heaven and hell than Jesus. Did you know that? Nobody. No, I dare you to do a study 
open the Gospels and then read the epistles and then work your way. Nobody taught more about heaven uh, and or hell than Jesus. Uh, Louis Ch- uh, Chafer said, end quote, it is as if no human author could be depended upon to speak forth all of this, re- reference to hell, this terrible truth. And so Jesus is the one. And there are only two final destinations for all men and women. I know a lot of times we'll go into an airport and you'll look at the, at the board and you're like, look, people are going everywhere. And if you're in the overseas terminal, there are destinations all over the world. But reality, and the Bible has a board with only two destinations. It's heaven or it's hell. That's it. That's it. And this guy started in a place in the greater Buffalo, New York area, uh, North Tonawanda, New York, at the Graf, the Graf Memorial Hospital, and uh, began there a number of years ago, and I'm um, headed somewhere. And this isn't it. I'm sorry to tell you that. This is, it, and this is not it, but you are a sight for sore eyes, and Faith and I are so glad to be back in our church family. But I'm going to heaven, and I want to take as many folks with me as possible. And God has set me apart. I grew up in a business engineering family, but he set me apart for the work of the ministry, to preach the word, to be instant in season and out, to make disciples, and to oversee a church family. And that's what God has given me to do. And I love what I do. It's challenging. It takes every ounce of everything I ever learned in any and every discipline. And sometimes people can be difficult. Have you ever noticed that? We're like that, aren't we? All we like sheep have gone astray. Amen. Put the period right there. <laughs> but haven't I also? Yes, I have. Confession's good for the soul. Hey, Z, get back here. Hey, thank you. <laughs> That's the way it is. Well, everyone will soon be either, and note, underlined soon, right? Three score and ten, four score if by strength. What is your life? It's a vapor going, going, almost gone. Every one of us will soon be in one place or the other, in heaven or hell. That's it, and it is forever. There are no elevators, there's no escape from one to the other, and that's it. And uh, in the rich man and Lazarus uh, uh, paragraph of Dr. Luke's um, wonderful gospel, we're going to notice uh, three observations from Jesus' warning telling us actually the horror of hell. i like us to see that. You see, there are many that try to take the gold out of heaven and the fire out of hell, but Jesus doesn't fool with any of that. That's nonsense. You know, just because certain ones are always not silly, the streets are going to be gold. Listen, gold, the most precious metal on earth, uh, mostly thought of that way anyways, um, uh, is going to be so commonplace uh, that it's going to be like asphalt. Now, I like asphalt in the summer. I love to smell that. My brothers used to think something wrong with me. I said, it's the benzene in it. Oh, there's something really wrong with you. You know, like, gold is going to be so common in heaven, we're going to walk on it. You're not going to get your Swiss Army knife out and carve out a hunk of it. I think I'll take a piece of this home with me. You won't. I mean, it's going to be glorious. It's going to outshine the sun, and that's where we're headed. And just as glorious as heaven is, hell is awful. It is the final place of God's judgment. And listen, uh, uh, we'll say it a couple of times. In fact, uh, Tim Keller said it so very, very well, you know, uh, and C.S. Lewis wrote it, and it's the bottom quote there, hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. Hell is the greatest monument, it's the last line before the lesson on your, it's the greatest monument to human freedom in that God gives men and women what they want. They didn't want him all their life, so they don't get him forever. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a way to answer folks. They'll say, how can a loving God ever send anyone to, to hell? And the reality is, God gives them what they want. They didn't, never wanted Christ. They never wanted uh, God at all, and so forever. That's what they get. That's what they get. Wow. Well, there are three pairs in this. Uh, you can see by three observations, three pairs, uh, if you will. They're two very different men. Then second, they're two very different final destinations. And finally, they're two, two desperate prayers from hell. I don't know if you ever thought about it like that. Uh, but there are two prayers 
that are uttered from hell. Let's, uh, let's read the account in the Scriptures, uh, Luke 16, verse 19, to the end of the chapter. Jesus is speaking. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received uh, your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish or torment. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Three observations. The first one of these three pairs. Two very different men who live two very different lives. I will say, I don't think that this is a parable. There are many that uh, subscribe to that opinion that they call this as one of uh, the uh, group of writings or sayings of Jesus that are parables. Uh, I, I don't think it is. For Jesus never in any of the other parables used a personal name. And so that stands it apart from all the other uh, teaching tool of a parable. In fact, it's just a simple, straightforward record of something that really happened. Almost as if Jesus were reading the first uh, uh, Jerusalem post of heaven and, and, and sort of an account of this man died, and, and so did that one. And he tells it as if it were just like that, factual. Now, the rich man, the first man, seemed to have everything going his way. He's the true Frank Sinatra, isn't he? Isn't he the one that's saying that? Everything's going my way or something like that. Old, old blue eyes, right? And it seems to be everything seemed easy and light, maybe inherited, maybe at a business, maybe at who knows what happened. But Jesus presents the picture of this man who is, in fact, wealthy. In fact, uh, the way Jesus describes him, we would say he's filthy rich. Now, let me remind you before you start to use your pecking order in your head by world in historical standards as an American, that's you and that's me in the picture. Even the poor in this land, I, I, I read something recently, even the poor the government buys cell phones for. And uh, even the poor, you know, around the world, I, I told you I, that statement that was said to me in a faraway place uh, where TV is everywhere, and they said, I want to go to America. And I just asked them, why do you want to go to America? You know, and I, I looked at her, and she said, well, even the poor people are fat. And by that, didn't mean anything by Weight Watchers. It just meant that even the poor have plenty. They're able to eat, and we don't have enough. And America must be, and it is true by worlds. Think of the easy, easiness of flight, travel, communication. And if you don't have money and you do fairly well, you'll get scholarship for education and higher education and, and housing and all these 
And by world standard, yes, there may be a pecking order here, but as a whole, never have a people so enjoyed such a high level, even in a recession, all right? It is a recession. We're not plowing ahead like, uh, like we were back a number of years ago. But look at the standards in which we live. And this man fared sumptuously, Jesus said, every single day. Well, uh, the wealth is not itself a criticism that the man is wealthy, for the Bible tells of many rich men uh, in the Bible who feared God, and they were wealthy. Abraham was wealthy beyond compare. Job was wealthy beyond compare. David was wealthy. I mean, he had even enough of the gold and silver and everything for the, for the temple, for his son to build that. It would not be in his, his days or his legacy, but would be for Solomon because he was a man of war and bloodshed. Well, that wasn't the fact that simply that he was wealthy, but he was what? His problem was that he was, in Jesus' words, self-indulgent to an extreme excess. He lived well, caring little about uh, any around him. He was a lover of money, and he used it solely to gratify his own worldly pleasure. And I remind you, it was not that he had wealth again, but here's the difference. His wealth had him, and that makes all the difference. And I think that's a day-to-day thing for us as Americans. Does our wealth have us, or do we have it? It's the danger of prosperity. I heard Chuck Swindoll teach on this one time years ago when he talked about the trials of adversity versus the trials of prosperity. Adversity, when we're, when we're without, when we're hurting, when we're down and out, when we don't have enough, when we're struggling. You know, that's a particular temptation. And it reveals, what, some sin in our heart and even some idols. And prosperity does the same thing. It can reveal the sin in our heart, like here, or even the idols, in this case, his wealth. And Swindoll went on to say it was his estimation for every nine people that can endeavor through suffering in adversity, for every nine that can make it through that to the glory of God, only one, he believed, could make it. With, uh, with wealth. Why? Because wealth creates an illusion. It's, a, it's an illusion uh, of, of godness, you know, that I can have whatever I want, whenever I had, and that I really am king of the, in all of these things, and I really don't have great need or want, and therefore it doesn't keep me bending, stooping, looking up, asking the Lord for my daily bread. I have plenty. I'll tear down the barns and build even bigger ones. I have so much. James tells us the peril of prosperity, and we all know of that in our own heart. When we easily forget, and here's the thing, I've used it so many times as an illustration, but it helps me because it's all monopoly money. Because when it's all over, it goes back in the box. It's all back in the box, and it goes over quickly. We are merely stewards and managers And so we have to daily ask the Lord to not allow our wealth, whether this much or that much, that it doesn't get us. But we have it, and we bring an alien sense of our righteous usage of it, and we use it as stewards to the glory of God, the danger of prosperity. Well, I notice also, number two, he, the rich man is nameless. It's the rich man in Lazarus. That's what this is called. The rich man. Well, why is that? Simply because he's not registered in heaven. You make a, you make an, a, a reservation at the Hampton Inn or somewhere. You, what's your name? Where do you live? What's your number? And how do you secure it? They want a name, right? So when you check in, the same thing is true. That, uh, the, that our names... Those of us that are in the blood of Christ and saved in Christos, our names are written down in glory. They're written there from the foundation of the earth. This man had no reservation in heaven. His name was not written there, and don't want to make too much of that, but he wasn't registered in heaven. 
but Lazarus was. Every time he went in and out of his house, can you see him with the gates around it, the wall? There's Lazarus laying in the public, in the street, the public area, and he saw this pathetic, smelly uh, bit of a man there, decrepit, uh, and he refused any compassion upon him. His heart grew hard and harder and harder and harder. And don't you hate that in our hearts? We have that potentiality of that, to see great needs and to harden our hearts. You know, when, when uh, I told you my practice, uh, when I'm confronted by something, uh, I give. I give. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to be abused, used for drugs, or use for what it's being asked for. I give because the Lord has control my steps and brought me to that point. And it may be a dollar, and it may be a, it may be a few more dollars than that. But that's the Lord's doing. And I give primarily. This is it. This is really I'm talking from my heart. So my own heart does not get hard. It's so easy to do that. You're you're a bum. Get a job. This and that and this kind of thing, and you can easily be hard that way in this heart and in your heart. Now, it happened to us. We were in New Indiana, and it happened again. Uh, you know, the price of gas was shooting up, and, and I saw at two different gas stations, one man came over to me, and he said to me, he had his, his car full of kids, and he said, I got to get to Shelbyville, and uh, sir, could you help me buy some gas? He's at the pump on the other side where I am. <clears throat> I filled up. I had some extra money, and I was glad to help him. I did that not so much for him. I didn't, I didn't want to say, no way, you're, you know, and think whatever thoughts and drive away. I don't need, I want my heart to be open and tender. The same thing, and I saw this, I saw it at another gas station. I didn't mention the faith. I saw it over an island away. A kid came over with a big uh, thing of gas. And he was asking the man, could you help me with some gas on my car, blah, 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 blah. I could envision the same story. That was yesterday. And I thought, well, if he comes over here, I'm going to buy some more gas because I don't want my heart to get hard. I don't want to be this rich man that sees needs and just says, I'm not doing anything. There's something I can do, and I want to do it. And let me make another, one more thing. Whenever you have an opportunity to give, give something. For, for yourself and your own tender heart, okay? I mean that. If, if Don't ever let the plates pass where you don't put at least a dollar and say, well, I tithe at home, my home church or this. Give something. Give, give. Just practice a life of giving for your own heart's sake so you don't end up being like this guy. You think it was the first time it hit him more when he saw that, but by the thousandth time, his heart was so hard because he refused any help that it was like calcified. And I say, Lord, I know my heart could be that way. I don't want that. Let me be generous, Lord. Let me be generous for someday everything I have will be taken from me or I will be taken from it. Well, anyway, not the second man, Lazarus. What about B, Lazarus? We have the rich man. He's sick, he's disabled, he's hungry, he's poor. His name means, I have it on your sheet, God has helped. God has helped. Every time they, God has helped, come to dinner. God has helped, go to school. That's what his name meant. You know, and you look and you go like, I can't believe it. God has not helped. Look at him. Well, it wasn't over yet, was it? It wasn't over. God has helped. God was going to do something. The contrast between the ten, two men could not have been any greater. I mean, it's enormous at one end of the spectrum to the other. Lazarus could not even help himself. He hoped daily to get the leftover scraps uh, from the rich man's table. What a picture Jesus is painting for us. The one person, the irony of it, the one person in all the world who was in the best position to help him absolutely refused to do so. His only comfort, now imagine now, was to have the dogs come and lick his wounds. And the dogs will do that. And they say that that's healthy. They'll come and they'll lick and they'll, they'll clean them up. And they're leaking and, and it's just a pathetic sight. You probably wished he was dead. And the only relief he had were the dogs in the neighborhoods that came 
and gave him some relief. What a pathetic sight. Well, the Bible in another place asks this question, and it probes my heart as well as yours. If any man has this world's goods, that means you have something, and he sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him. That's our danger right there. How does God's love abide in him? Here's the answer. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I don't want that in my own life. I know it's been there before. I hate it and despise it. I don't want that. And you shouldn't either. Well, two very different men with two very different lives. Well, verses 22 to 23, we see the second pairing. Two very different final destinations. There were two men, one on each side of the gate. Both men died, and that changed everything. You know, because they ended up on two ends, two different sides of eternity. On earth, they, were, they had been near neighbors. How about that for a thought? But not now. Not now. Death, death is the great equalizer. It, uh, at death, the only thing that matters is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not uh, the amount of toys that you have. I've read that in, on bumper stickers. You know, I heard that the other day somewhere. Someone said, hey, hey, it's he who finishes with the most toys. He forgot the ending. I, I, I whispered to myself, he dies too. That's right. It's not the, it's not the greatest assets. It isn't. I saw this week William Buffett, uh, Bill, uh, Buffett turned 82. 82. They call him what? The richest, second richest man in America? Hey, someday they're carrying him out if the Lord tarries uh, on a slab. And his checkbook will not be in his pocket. And if it is, won't do any good. None. I don't, I'm not envious when I say that. It's a fact of life. The same with the poorest of the poor. Death is the great equalizer. That the Lord is pointing this out here. And, uh, and, uh, and the rich man died. Steve Jobs died. I, I took my breath away when I read in the paper reminding us it was last October. I said, it can't be a year already. It just seems like it. Just a little... And here he is, his company, the, the Apple computer, has reached the highest corporate value, the number of shares times the price of the share of any company in the history uh, of the world, they said. Now, there's an inflationary factor there or something, but that's not bad with some of you are smiling because you bought the Apple stock. They said it was $4 back in 02 or 03. I said, like, oh, man, he did pretty good. And uh, I'd like to see a little of that in the offering plate, too. If you <laughs> but uh, it was shot through the ceiling. And you know what? He, it, it's meaningless to him now. Absolutely meaningless. Wow, what a reversal of fortunes. Isn't that amazing? Death is the great equalizer. The only thing that matters was that man, that woman in Christos, in Christ, that's the only question. That's it. Lazarus died, and the text says, he was immediately taken to heaven by the angels. That's where we get that from. We go like, well, the angels carried his soul. That's the living part of him. That's who he is. The body is just the transporter, and it's crumbling. Carried his soul to glory. And we say that. We said that about my brother. I thought that. When Dale uh, uh, died in his sleep, the angels were there. His, uh, his days were numbered and up, and the angels carried his soul to glory. It comes right from this passage, the Lord's own words. For those of the redeemed and the righteous, that's, uh, you're not left to find your way. Some of you have a hard time with directions anyway. You know, like you're leaving your body, where's heaven? I couldn't find the grocery store. Don't worry about it. The angels know the way and will transport you to glory. Wow. That's, the, that's Lazarus. And God certainly helped, wouldn't you say? God helped him. You know, the Puritans used to say, delivered uh, through death. Now, we don't think that way too much as a culture anymore because we want it all here and now. Right? I want everything. 
And, we, and, and so even, even some wrong thoughts of retirement creep in. I mean, the load should change, of course, as we're not able as we were younger, but never sit around and do nothing. That's terrible. You know, the devil tempts with idleness, but idleness, well, that tempts the devil. And we should always, always, always do something. And, uh, and though the load changes, we should always stay busy and laboring. Anyway, uh, and the Puritans would say, delivered through death. They went to glory. Listen, to the, to the redeemed, death is the doorway to heaven. And God removes the fear of death. We pray for those that are left behind, our loved ones. And when we commit them to God's care and He'll take care of them, He will. But for those who depart, they're absent from the body and present immediately with the Lord. He's taken right to glory. Abraham's there, and Abraham is seen putting his arm around him, comforting him. Though we are not told, he must have, that is, Lazarus put his trust in the Lord, for Jesus had said to Nicodemus pre-Calvary before the church, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you're the teacher of the Jews, the teacher, the number one teacher, and you don't know this? And so he must have been saved, though the Lord doesn't tell us whatever the, but just the sketchy details that we needed to, for him to make the point of this, uh, this account. And so as, since Abraham is the father of all who believe, Romans 4, 11, uh, he is indeed a, a regenerate and wonderfully filled with joy. His pain and suffering are now over. No more sorrow, pains, tears, of funerals, no more obituaries, thank goodness, gone forever. No more hospitals, never spent, except when I was a patient, more hours in a hospital than I did this last week. I, we were exhausted. I'm still tired from it. Oh, Joni and the rest of you, we'll pray for you. Oh, my, to get out and breathe that fresh air from time to time. No more hospitals, no more funeral homes, no more obituary, no more suffering, no more boo-boos, no more band-aids, no more Bactine, no more, got a flu shot en route. Faith found a 20% coupon. If you got a flu shot, she asked me to go stand in line and get a flu shot. So she got her 20%. Honey, I'm sorry I'm telling anybody this. But she got 20% off, and I got the, I got the point. Uh, as we were going back to the house we stayed in from the hospital, thank goodness it was 24-hour service there at that CVS. Anyway, that's another. No more of that stuff anymore. Well, the rich man died, B. And all his wealth was stripped from him. All of it. So when asked, when the, they heard that the wealthiest man in town died, how much did he leave? And the right answer was, he left all of it. All of it. I saw that in my own family with my father. They carried him out the front door of his dream home and never to return again. He laid down his pencil and his tools never to pick him up again, had no clue that he was sick or near death, and that was it, and that was all, gone forever. The rich man was stripped of everything that was his, and he was immediately, the text says immediately, and, the, and if you fill in some other description, and that's what I've done on your sheet, describing hell, Hades, and the lake of fire here, where hell will be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity, it's a place of darkness in Matthew. It's a place of torment and suffering, weeping and gnashing of teeth, fire, worms, wrath. It lasts forever and ever. Wow, it's no wonder, Jesus said, uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, loses his own soul? I mean, that sounds like a terrible deal. You don't want to be on the business end of that one. What a terrible trade-off. For hell has no exits. It's too late to be saved. It's too late to hear the gospel. It's too late to believe in Jesus. It's too late to beg for mercy. It's too late to avoid the everlasting agony of eternity without God. Now is the day to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Well, you can imagine his funeral was a huge event, was it not? 
is such, uh, such is uh, what happens for the wealthy when they pass. His corpse uh, may be laid in state or maybe in the courthouse or the town square. His corpse was there with a beautiful box, no doubt, that it uh, held his body. Uh, his body was there, but he, he, his soul is in hell. Wow. Wow. They were saying all sorts of platitudes and all sorts of things and probably lying right through their teeth. Such things happen, I've heard, at such funerals, and maybe you've heard of such things. His body's there, and they perfumed it and combed it and patted it and dressed it, but he's not there. He's in torment. Instantly, immediately, taken to a place called hell in Hades. Wow. If Jesus didn't say it, we'd probably go like, I wonder if that's really true. But he did say it. And it's a warning that death seals our eternity forever. And that's why today is the day of salvation. If any of you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, do not let a day go by. If you draw anything out of my family and what we've been through this week, that death sometimes comes very unannounced. Sometimes it's announced and it's months and years, but sometimes it's not. And so cast your faith upon the Lord Jesus. Lord, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Receive his death as your own, and his blood will cover your every sin. Well, the point here is that salvation does not depend on one's tax bracket. But the real issue is our faith response to God, a response that is plainly seen in how we live. And his life was a disaster. There was no mercy in it. There was no likeness to God in it at all. And it shows he lived for self. James, too, writes, faith without works is dead. And he had no works that gave any evidence that he was ever redeemed. He was lost, and now for eternity's sake, a gross reversal of fortune because all his money, all his assets went into the box. He should have had the joy of giving it away. At least he would have that joy. Have you learned to be a giver? You know, the old preacher, I was thinking of that this week. He goes, he said, it goes something like this, do your giving while you're a living then you'll know where it's a-going. That's not bad. All right? Do your giving while you're a-living so you're a-knowing where it's a-going. Not bad. And when you give, I mean, Jesus said, blessed. Uh, give. Uh, you read a little bit about Bill and Melinda Gates and that foundation, and they're doing a lot of wonderful things, human, humanitarian things, uh, some not so good in supporting uh, abortion-type things, but they're really trying to stamp out malaria and some of these things in Africa and all the, these kind of things. And I read a comment. He, he made a comment about the absolute joy of giving away. He's, he's entering into what Jesus It's universal. Just give your life away. You want to know what happy people are? They give their life away. And then when they, when they die, people really show up, and they really shed tears. They're going to miss you. And it's not theatrics. And they're not going to lie through their teeth. He was a pretty nice guy, wasn't he? You know, like, cross my fingers, hope to die. Oh, no, not yet, you know. <laughs> wow. Well, the third, uh, the third observation of the, the third pair, notice these two desperate prayers from hell that will never be answered. It's quite a, quite a thing. In, in verse 24, uh, and he called out. He's calling out to heaven. Let me stretch a little bit. He's calling out to heaven, addressing Abraham. But let's call it two requests or two prayers from hell. I mean, God does answer prayer. You know, I, let me just emphasize that before. God has ordained prayer. He, he's ordained the means and the ends. And as you prayed this week for a little bit, God collectively heard that and took her from, we didn't know if she was going to make Wednesday. And uh, we felt, and we felt carried by the prayers of you. We did, and we love you for it. And God was pleased to, to work. Here are two pr desperate prayers from hell that go unanswered. How desperate the damned are for mercy, 
but the day of mercy is over. Hell has no exits, none. The day of mercy is over. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll say that wrong. We'll talk about God's everlasting mercy. You know, that's not right theologically. It isn't. That the mercy means holding back what we deserve. Uh, and for those that reject Christ and die in that, that day is over now. Mercy is ended, and it's the day of judgment and punishment. And so uh, God's love is everlasting, and we enjoy that. His hesed, His loyal love, His covenantal faithfulness, and we love that so much. But uh, it's over. Hell has no exits. The Bible never teaches purgatory. I know there, there are some that teach that, but you'll never find that in the Scriptures ever. Absent from the body, present with the Lord instantly. Um, there's a book out, what, what was it, Three Minutes After You Die? Is that the name of it? Uh, and and uh, I think Lutzer wrote that, Edwin Lutzer, a wonderful book about the reality. We don't go into some sort of soul sleep. The Bible never teaches that. You're fully conscious and aware as the angels will carry your soul. That's who you are, incidentally. We're just in this car that's rusting and falling apart and needs a lube job and a little suspension work here and there and that kind of thing. My brother Dale had both of them done. How about that? And uh, some other things. I mean, it's, it's falling apart. Keep taking your shackly, you know, but, uh, and that helps, I guess, right? But uh, someday we're all going to die, right? And we go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Instantly. Instantly. Isn't that wonderful? Wow, that's great. Uh, well, look at the first prayer. A request for mercy. The rich man is asking, he's in hell. He's uh, looking up. He's praying toward heaven. He's talking to Father Abraham. He give me a drop of water. I'm in agony. I notice he doesn't ask to be delivered from hell. He just asks for a drink. Wow, that shows the the agony of it. Have you ever been uh, in such thirst? You know, you see some of these that are lost at sea. You know the expression "water, water everywhere, but no water to drink." You don't dare drink salt water. You'll lose your mind and you'll die. It's a horrible death. Horrible. Water, water. I can't imagine what that is floating, you know, lost at sea without a drink of water. And pray that it rains and open your mouth and catch something, you know. Water. It's an agonizing thing. And the Lord says he wants it. He requests. Give me a drink of water, please. He doesn't even ask to escape. If you, I'm reminded if you live this life alone, if, if that's all you live for, that's all you get. It sounds like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? It's like, live it up, enjoy it, because that's all you're going to get, and it's going to be over soon. It'll soon be done. And Lazarus, anyway, number three, couldn't bring him any water. Why? Because there is a fixed boundary, Jesus said, between the two places. And I don't know if this is sort of like a portal, a one-time-only thing that Jesus is recounting, uh, you know, for people in hell to see those in glory, that would, that would really be agonizing. Maybe it was a one-time only thing. We're not told that he's able to look and to see, but there's, there's a, there is a, a gulf that is fixed between the two, and you can't cross from one to the other. The two had lived practically next door on earth, but now they're separated forever, forever. No one in hell can ever escape to heaven. No one. And according to C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, nobody wants to. And read that little book. You should buy that and read that if you haven't. The Great Divorce means not marriage, but the separation between the redeemed and the damned. And, uh, and only in a genius mind that, like his could he ever envision a field trip, a bus trip, of people in hell visiting heaven. That's, the, th that's, the, that's the, uh, the plot of the book. And they get out there and, and, and make observations, and then they all pile. None of them want to stay there. None of them. Interesting. Well, the second prayer request is a request for mercy for his living brothers. He says, I have five brothers still at home. Wow. Did you catch it? He's just a few moments in hell, and he's a missionary. 
a few moments in hell. He's an evangelist. That's exactly what's, what's happened here. His request to send someone is denied by the Lord. The Bible, he tells us, that's what that means when he says they have Moses and the prophet. It means they have the Word of God. New Testament had not been written at that point. They have the Scriptures. And if they won't hear the Scriptures, if they won't hear the Scriptures, it doesn't matter if someone should rise from the dead and come to them, they still won't hear. And Jesus is almost speaking prophetically of what He would do, and still some would, many would not believe. And so C.S. Lewis' hell, as I mentioned, is the greatest monument to human freedom. God gives men and women what their desire is. They never wanted Him in life, so they don't have Him in death. Romans 1.24, God gave them up to their desires. And He did just that. A couple of comments from some authors before we look at lessons. Solomon Stoddard is the grandfather Jonathan Edwards, and I found this. He said, the fear of hell restrains men from sin. Hell is compared to Sodom when it was uh, all on fire in Revelation 21.8. Whatever the miseries of hell are, he writes, they will be eternal. And then, as I mentioned, the C.S. Lewis, let me read just a couple of lines here. He writes in The Great Divorce, a busload of people from hell who came to the outskirts of heaven. There they're urged to leave behind the sins that have trapped them in hell, but they refuse. All God does in the end with people is give them what they most want, including freedom from Himself. What could be more fair than that? And then he writes, there are only two kinds of people. Those in life who say, your will be done to God. Or those to whom God in the end says, your will be done. Wow. Lessons for our life, number one. And so I ask the question, what is your final destination? Will you take Jesus' words to heart and flee the wrath that is to come? You can do that today by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, a simple prayer of faith, Lord Jesus, confess that you're a sinner. I am a sinner, a rebel. Thank you for your love that you should so lay down your life and make the only payment as my sin substitute. You died in my place that I might live. You paid the price for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, it's a gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I would urge you, I would, in, I would implore you to receive Jesus today. If I can help you in any way, even after, don't leave. Come and talk to me. I'd love to share with you and talk with you, pray with you, to settle that. If you've never settled it, oh, please do that. Number two, be encouraged if you know Jesus as your Savior. Be encouraged, I say, for this passage, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus certainly teaches us that death is a gift for a Christian. You see that? You can't compare Lazarus' terrible, wretched life, the wretched of the earth, with the role reversal and all that took place in glory. It's a gift. It's the door, death is a doorway to heaven, delivered through death, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Wow, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Our Lord has gone before us in this, and He threw open the doors of death, and He blew them away. Number three, death seals your destination. It seals it. There's no moving from one place to another. If one goes to hell, you'll never escape. Ever. Ever. It's not mine. I'm just the delivery guy. Don't get mad at me. Study the Scriptures. I have to give an account for delivering God's Word and cutting it straight. 
you're lost, you're under judgment, and hell will be yours. And you are warned. Today is the day of salvation. Today, heaven's door is still open. One day it will be closed forever. Today is the day. Number four, hell is more horrible than you can ever imagine. I mean, the Lord talks about it in words to give us an idea of this, the horror of this place. It'll be organized. God will ordain it. it the, God's a God of order, but it'll be vacant, any of His blessed presence. And it will be awful. And as long as heaven is, hell is always seen in the same words, forever and forever. It is God's place of absence and His wrath. Number five, consider yourself to have been warned. Now, go warn others. Love them enough to tell them. Have they considered their destination? Ask people. Uh, I'll, I'll deputize you. Can we do that, Raj? U.S. Air agents, you are now, raise your right hand. And when you meet people, ask them, hey, did I, hey, what's, hey, did I ask you what, what? Hey, what's your final destination? No, not the in-between stops, Harrisburg, Scranton, Indiana, Buffalo, not all those in-between places. What's the final? What do you mean? What do you mean? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. I'd like to ask everyone, just bow your head now. I just want to give an opportunity for you to, to respond just a moment, and then we'll be gone. I'd like to ask you, how many of you, by raising your hand, would say for sure that you have the assurance that God has saved you, that you know that your final destination, all because of Christ, is heaven? Would you raise your hand? Thank you very much. Thank you. I'd like to also ask if you, if you don't know for sure, Jesus the Lord is your personal Savior. And you'd like, you'd like to know that assurance. I'd like to offer you the same thing. Simply, all heads bowed and eyes closed. Raise your hand. If I can help in any way. Father, you know our hearts. Thank you for the glory of your words. Thank you that our final destination is far better than anything we could ever imagine. And the ticket's been paid for. And we shall be with and outshine the stars forever and ever and ever. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for saving. You saw the hands. You know the hearts. Thank you for your work in our lives. We love you so. Dismiss us in a moment here with your blessing. Until we meet tonight for the baptism service, we look forward to that celebration. Make us a blessing to all that we should meet. In Christ's name, amen.